right, so as most of you know, the Upper Room Discourse, which is where we are right now, was a really powerful message from Jesus to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. And so as we finish chapter 16 today, we're gonna to come to the end of the teaching portion of the Upper Room Discourse. Later, when we get into chapter 17, listen to this, instruction, Jesus's instruction, is gonna turn into intercession as he prays to the Father for his disciples. I'm really looking forward to chapter 17, what is known as the High Priestly Prayer. Because in that prayer, here's what you need to know. Jesus not only prayed for his disciples 2,000 years ago, but in that prayer in John chapter 17, did you know he also prayed for you? Now I challenge you to find that verse in chapter 17 before I teach it. Don't go looking for it now, stay focused, right, on John chapter 16 as we finish up the teaching portion of the Upper Room Discourse. All right, so last week's message, we focused on the Holy Spirit. And um, this week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about Christ's victory over the world. So um, here, here's the really good news. The good news is this, that through his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension, you need to know that Jesus Christ overcame the world. And he didn't just overcome the world, he overcame the world, he overcame the flesh, he overcame the devil. He overcame sin and death and hell. He is our hero. And the second part of that good news is that if, and it's a big if, but if you're in Christ, his victory is your victory. All right, so right now, if you're looking at John 16, 16, can you say amen so I know you're there? All right, here we go. Jesus, speaking to the 11 in the upper room, said a little while and you will see me no longer and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I'm going to the Father, verse 18. So they were saying, what does he mean? <laughs> Why a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Now, since most of us here this morning have read the end of John's gospel, we know what Jesus was talking about, right? So when Jesus said in verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me, we know what the disciples at this point did not know. We know that when Jesus said a little while and you will see me no longer, he was referring to his death and burial. Okay, so quick review. We are, right now, Thursday night of what many people call Holy Week, all right? So Thursday night, he washes the disciples' feet. Um, they have the Lord's Supper. Before the Lord's Supper, Judas leaves to do his um, betrayal. Um, they have the Lord's Supper. He gives the upper room discourse. That's where we are in the Bible. In just a few hours, in the middle of the night, he's gonna be betrayed and arrested. He's gonna be tortured. The next morning, he's going to be crucified on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, are gonna take his body down and they're gonna bury him. <clears throat> Isaiah 53 prophesied it in a rich man's tomb, the tomb of, jo tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. That's when they would see him no longer. And then a little while and you will see me, 
Why? Because Sunday followed Friday and Jesus got up and walked out of the tomb. He's talking about his resurrection. Now, the disciples should have gotten it. Why? Because Jesus had already told them very clearly in no uncertain terms back in Mark chapter nine. I'll go ahead and read it to you. Mark 9, 31. Jesus said to these guys, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They're gonna kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. He told them that already. The problem is in the very next verse, Mark 9, 32, it says that the disciples did not understand the saying and they were afraid. They were afraid to ask him. And so the same fear that we saw back in Mark chapter nine is the same fear that we're seeing right now in your Bibles in John chapter 16. The disciples aren't getting it. They're not understanding what Jesus is saying. And because they're afraid, they won't raise their hand and say, Jesus, would you explain yourself? No, instead of that, what do they do? They begin to whisper amongst one another. Hey, Peter, what's he talking about? I have no idea. Well, you ask him. No, you ask him. I don't want to ask him, right? And they're whispering right now. It's kind of like, you know, if you're a student in math class, the teacher is teaching a really complex math um, equation on the whiteboard, right? And you're not getting it. Nobody in the class is getting it but you're too afraid to ask her, right? So when the teacher turns her back, everybody in the, in the classroom's like, what's she talking about? I don't know. You ask her, no you. That's what's going on right now in the upper room. Well, here's a great idea. Why don't you raise your hand and ask your teacher? And why didn't the disciples raise their hand and ask the Lord? It said they were afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, the fear of man is a snare. We cannot allow fear because fear will try to affect every single area of our lives. We all of us, I'm saying myself included, we all have to get over our fear so that we can embrace everything the Lord has for us, including understanding the word of God. And so this is one of the reasons I love our Calvary classes and our Calvary groups. Maybe you haven't heard yet, but we, are, our one word in this local church is disciple. That's our one word. Everything we do we think about that one word, disciple. Why? Because Jesus said, go and make what? Disciples of all the nations. Okay, and so in our, what we ask in our weekend gatherings like this right here, we ask that you please don't raise your hand and ask me a question. Why? Because we're on a, a timeline, right? And um, if this was the earlier service, then we would have to uh, make sure we get done by a certain time because all of you guys are coming uh, for this service. And so, we, this is not the format. Of course, you can ask questions after the service. That's great. Pastors are available, but this is not the format right now. But good news, everybody. One of the many benefits of our Calvary classes and our Calvary groups is that the Bible is discussed in those environments. You can raise your hand. You can ask questions. You can discuss things. And so today's message, by the way, is going to be shorter than normal. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, right. But it really is gonna be shorter than normal, and then that way you guys are gonna be able to go outside in front of our church building here and see some of the classes that are gonna soon be available for you to get involved so that you can continue to be the disciple that the Lord wants you to be. All right, so they're not asking the question. They're whispering. Please look at verse 19. 
Jesus, by the way, don't forget your New Year's resolution, bring your Bibles to church. All right, so verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And so Jesus said that after his death, there'll be two emotional responses, excuse me, two emotional responses, one from the disciples and one from the world, all right? So the disciples, Jesus said, you guys are going to weep and lament regarding the world, what are they gonna do? They're gonna celebrate, they're gonna rejoice after I die. Why are the disciples gonna weep and lament after Jesus dies on the cross? Because they loved him, they loved him a lot. Why is the world, and I defined the world in a previous message, I think last weekend, okay, and so please go back and listen to the, the message if you don't know what the world means, but why is the world gonna rejoice after Jesus dies on the cross? Because, ladies and gentlemen, unlike the disciples, they hate him. They hated Jesus. When the religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, right, members of the Sanhedrin and others, when the religious leaders turned Jesus over to Rome in order for him to be crucified, no doubt those religious leaders thought in their minds, finally, we shut him up. <laughs> finally, we got rid of him. How many of you guys know nothing could be further from the truth? Why? Because Sunday follows Friday. And after Sunday, Jesus marched out of the tomb victorious over it all. And so, whose turn after they saw Jesus was it to rejoice? It was the disciples' turn to rejoice. Jesus said it was gonna happen. Your sorrow is gonna turn into joy. Why? Because they saw their hero alive from the dead. Now, Nobody taught better than Jesus. Nobody has ever preached better than Jesus. Jesus was the master teacher preacher, the master storyteller, and what does he do now? As he's teaching the 11 in the upper room, he uses the metaphor of childbirth to kind of shed light on what he's talking about right now with his men. Look at verse 21. It says in verse 21, he said, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. I love this. End of verse 21. For joy that a, by the way, what's the next two words there? That hit me in a new way. Jesus called the baby a human being. Isn't that cool? For joy that a human being has been born into the world. All right, so every mother knows all too well how true the Lord's words are, right? During labor, the, when the contractions are off the chart, it hurts so bad, the sorrow is so intense. Amen, ladies? So glad I didn't hear any men say amen. Why? Because guys, we have no idea at all. Yeah, amen. We have no idea. 
And by the way, husbands, when your wives are in labor and the contractions are off the chart and your mind is kind of spinning and you don't know what to say to her, the worst thing, guys, you can do is walk up to your wife in labor and say, honey, I feel your pain. (laughs) No, 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 don't do that because if you do that, you're gonna feel some pain in just a moment. And so when the contractions are off the chart, when the labor pains are really, really bad, right? What happens to the mom? She is sorrowful, but after the delivery, she no longer remembers her anguish. Why? For joy that a human being, her child, has been born into the world. And so what does Jesus do? He takes that metaphor and he applies it to what the disciples are gonna experience that weekend. Guys, your sorrow is gonna be so intense. Off the charts. But good news, Sunday follows Friday. And when you see me alive from the dead, you guys are gonna rejoice. Your sorrow is gonna turn into joy. When you see me, you're gonna have so much relief, so much happiness, so much joy, kind of like a mom who embraces her newborn child. By the way, isn't Jesus an amazing teacher? It's awesome. Would love to go back in time and hear him teach not just big groups, but small groups as well. And ladies and gentlemen, here's what you need to know, that if you're a born-again Christian, you believe in the resurrected Christ, your joy should be off the charts as well because he's alive. He really is alive. This is not a fairy tale. He's alive. Okay, so verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, Jesus said, but I will see you again. Do you see the promise there in the scriptures? He's telling them, guys, I'm gonna see you again. Resurrection morning is coming. That's a promise, and he carried out his promise. By the way, for us in this day, we could apply this to his second coming. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, Old and New Testament, he says, you will see me. How many of you guys are living in light of his soon coming? Okay, and so, man, Jesus is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. And the evil in this world is not gonna continue on indefinitely. The Lord will come, and he will establish global righteousness. We're looking forward to that. So, also, verse 22, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And I love this, no one will take your joy from you. All right, and so on Sunday morning, when the risen Christ, all right, walked into the locked room where the disciples were. This is so, so uh, cool. What did he say to them? He said, the risen Christ said to them, peace be with you, right? Probably because they just freaked out when they saw him. Peace be with you. And then after that, what happened? Jesus showed them the scars in his hand. By the way, when you see Jesus, born again Christian, when you see Jesus in heaven someday, he's still gonna have the scars. And you're gonna know that was the payment for my sins to get me here in the Father's house. By the way, 
one of the essential doctrines of the historic Christian faith is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you guys please say bodily resurrection? That means that Jesus did not rise spiritually, but his body is still in the dirt in Israel. Nothing could be further from the truth. That is a lie from the pit of hell, and it's a lie of some of the cults out there. And by the way, you can't be saved unless you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? The same body that took the, your sin on the cross the same body that died is the same body that marched out of the tomb, risen from the dead. Historic Christianity 101, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is our hope, why? Because one day we'll have new bodies, just like he. Yeah, it's gonna be amazing, amazing time. So he shows them his scars in his hands. And it says in John 20, 20, Right, right now we're in John chapter 16. We're gonna get to John 20 in about six months, I think. But we're gonna get to John 20, 20. And, and when they see him, here, I'm gonna quote it, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, I guess so. Now what amazes me is that Jesus prophesied all this before it, would hap before it happened in detail. He predicted it all before it occurred. Now, Listen, I'm gonna to touch on apologetics here for a moment. Apologetics means, from the Greek apologia, a defense for the Christian faith. How many of you guys know we have a very reasonable faith? We have evidence for our faith. Okay, so here's a, a good little apologetics tidbit for you. Jesus Christ prophesied his death, burial, resurrection before it occurred. Earlier he said this, I quoted this earlier and I'm gonna put it on the screen. Look at the detail here. Before it happened, Jesus said the Son of Man, that is a title for the Messiah taken out of Daniel the prophet. The Son of Man is gonna be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. That's very detailed, that's very specific. Unlike a lot of the so-called world-famous prophets in the past, I'm not talking about Old Testament prophets, right? They're legit. I'm talking about others, right, who make these broad generalities about the future, and everybody's like, oh, it's so amazing. Nostradamus is so amazing. Give me a break. That's detail. And that's before it happens. So what does that mean, apologetically speaking? What it means is that since Jesus predicted and then accomplished his own death and resurrection, that means that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who does that? Can you predict what's gonna happen next year on February 18th at 9 a.m.? No, none of us can. But Jesus, look at what he did. He predicted and then he accomplished his own suffering and death and burial and resurrection. What does that mean? That means that he really is the King of kings and Lord of lords and we gotta deal with it. We gotta make a decision. And I hope your decision today is to give your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so look at verse 23 now. He says, in that day, 
you will ask nothing of me. So in that day, speaking about after his resurrection and ascension, you will ask nothing of me. Why? Because he'll be gone. He's going back to heaven. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, notice that, of the Father, in my name, he will give it to you. Verse 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask. By the way, this is not just for 11 guys in a room 2,000 years ago. This is for all y'all out there. All, everybody who's watching, everybody in this room, everybody who listens later on the podcast, this is for us. Jesus is saying, ask, and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. And so Jesus now turned to the topic of prayer and how answered prayer would fill his disciples 2,000 years ago with joy. Answered prayer brings joy. But again, he's talking to us as well. Answered prayer, born again Christian, will bring you joy. How many of you guys, raise your hands, have experienced answered prayer in your life? Raise your hands, yeah. Did you feel joy afterwards? Absolutely. He's a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. And so during his time on earth, if his followers needed anything, what did they do? They just walked up to the Lord. Lord, I need thus and so. But after his ascension, back to the right hand of the Father in heaven, they could no longer do that. So what did the Lord want them to do? He wanted them to pray. To who? To the Father. In whose name? In Jesus' name. Now, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. The pattern is still the same. We should pray directly to the Father in the name of the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, we should be so grateful for our triune God. We should be so grateful for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We should have attitudes of gratitude for each of their roles as we pray. Think about this with me for just a moment. This is amazing. Regarding the Father, if you're a blood-bought child of God, guess what? You get to enter into his throne room of grace, the Father's throne room of grace, with no fear, with no trepidation. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, right? So what does that mean? That means that you can go right into the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil separating the holy place from the Holy of Holies was ripped, note this, from top to bottom. What does that mean? That means God the Father ripped that thing and he said the old covenant is done. Animal sacrifices are done. My son died once and for all for the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future. So if you've been washed in the blood, come on in. Come in. I accept you. I'm not just your God, I'm your Abba Father, I'm your Daddy, come in. Talk to me, converse with me. My son paid a big price for you to be here. Now if you're not a blood-bought child of God, don't you dare go into the Holy of Holies. God is an infinitely holy God, and we're all sinners. And I don't want you guys to regard me in anything other than I'm a sinner saved by grace just like you. It's all about Christ. 
he gets the glory. So regard, regarding the Father and his role in prayer, we get to go right into him. We get to pray directly to him. Regarding the Son, Jesus says, you can ask the Father in my name. And he says, you will receive what you ask for. That's John 16, 23. We just read that here just a little while ago. So what does it mean in Jesus' name? I'm not gonna re-preach the sermon I already shared, but in Jesus' name is not a nice little phrase you put on the end of a selfish prayer <laughs> to get what you want. In Jesus' name means according to his authority, according to his merit, according to his character, according to his will. That's what it means. And when you pray in his name, in his authority, according to his will, guess what? You will get what you ask for. That's the role of the son. And not just that, praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Because when we're faced with difficult situations, confusing situations, and we don't know what to pray for, do you know what the Holy Spirit does? He goes to bat for us. Romans chapter eight, verses 26 and 27, says that he, the helper, will help us in our weakness by interceding for us with groanings too deep for words according to the will of God. Wow! The role of the Father, the role of the Son, the role of the Holy Spirit in our prayers. We should be so grateful. What more could he do? And so the question is, are you taking advantage of this blessing? Look at verse 25 now. He says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The idea there is obscure language. He says, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And I praise the Lord that that day came. After his resurrection, Jesus spoke plainly to the Father, to his disciples, to his apostles. Let's go back to the scenario when he went into the locked room, right? He went into the locked room and he showed them his scars and then he said this to them. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me, look at this, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Okay, you tell me, is that Old Testament or New Testament? Let me try that again because I think some of you guys zoned out. Law of Moses, prophets, Psalms. Old Testament or New Testament? Old. Old, Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. I don't know, um, 14, 1500, somewhere around there to 400 BC. That's what he's talking about. The Old Testament scriptures. They must be fulfilled. And then my favorite part, look at this. Then he opened their minds. It's called illumination. <laughs> he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is so cool because when the Holy Spirit opened the minds of the apostles so that they could understand the Old Testament scriptures. They could understand where Jesus is in the Old Testament scriptures. When the Holy Spirit opened up the apostles' minds, ladies and gentlemen, they saw from the pages of the Old Testament the Father's plan of redemption. They saw it. 
And not just that, but then the Spirit's illumination for them of the Old Testament ultimately led to his new revelation of the New Testament, where in the New Testament, from Matthew to to Revelation, the Father's plan of redemption is crystal clear. Do you see how all this works? Yes, Jesus is seen in the Old Testament. Man, he's there in, in so many places I don't have time to talk about, but probably the most profound, clear place that Jesus is in the Old Testament is in Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Christ. Please read it later when you get home. But, but he's there in the whole thing. So what does he do? He, he opens up the minds of the apostles, right? And they see the Father's plan of redemption in the Old Testament, and then praise the Lord, that ultimately leads the apostles to receive the new revelation of the New Testament, and thank God they wrote it down, and as they wrote it down, the Holy Spirit of God led them so that we have now a closed canon of 66 breathed out books by God right here. This is a treasure. This is a treasure. This is why I want you guys to bring your Bibles to church or at least pull it up on your smartphone or or mobile device. My calling is not to stand up here and give you a motivational speech to make you feel good. No, my job as a pastor is to feed the flock of God, the word of God, and we have the word of God, and what a privilege it is. We got the word of God. And so guess what? What do we need today? Do we need more new revelation? No. 10,000 times, no. We don't need any more new revelation. What we need is ongoing illumination ongoing illumination of the scriptures that God has entrusted to us. And then we can develop a biblical redemptive worldview. And then we can be equipped to take the gospel to people who need the redeemer, Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us in prayer. When I talk about new revelation, I'm talking about um, People who say, I have new authoritative revelation from God. No, 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 no. Ladies and gentlemen, what's the one word? Shout it out. Run. I wanna hear everybody say it. One, two, three. Run. Okay, what's an extreme example of what I'm talking about? Um, The Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. Give me a break. It's a cult. That's what the cults do. I have new revelation from God. Run. And here, open this up and pray for illumination that God will help you understand what he's already given to us. Is this making sense to you guys? Look at verse 26. Verse 26. In that day, Jesus said, you will ask in my name. So after my resurrection, after my ascension, now you're praying, and you're gonna pray in my name. And I love this. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Look at verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. Man, that hit me in a new way this week. I am so grateful for that verse right there. Jesus wanted his disciples and us to understand this. The Father loves you. And I know, right? Boing, (laughs) boing, it's so hard. Because we all so often struggle with a wrong view of God. He's mad at me. 
He's angry. He's upset. No, 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 listen. If you believe that Jesus Christ came from God and you know and love Jesus Christ, what happened to the veil? It was ripped. What does that mean? That I don't care what you've done or where you've been or what you've said, the Father loves you, he accepts you, he always loves you before you know Christ and after you know Christ, but he accepts you because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, he's your daddy, come running into his arms. Moms and dads, what do you do when your little kid messes up? You scream and yell and never talk to them for a week or two weeks or three weeks? Please, that's child abuse. God is not a cosmic child abuser. He's our loving heavenly father. If you have sinned, good news. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come on into the throne room of grace. I thought I'd at least get one amen from that. Man. Let's change our view of God into the God of the Bible. You're his child. He wants to hear from you. Okay, so it's not like, listen to this. It's not like the father is up there on his throne in heaven with the son at his right hand and the father, right, kind of a stingy, stingy God. He's like kind of an angry God. He's like, son, son, I don't wanna hear from those sinners down there. You tell me what they want. I'll listen to you, not them. No, (laughs) no. Jesus just said it. God is not indifferent towards us. He wants you to come directly to him in the name of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. If you get it, please say amen so I know you're hearing me. All right, look at verse 26 now. He said, in that day you will ask in my name. I'm sorry, verse uh, 28. He said, I came from the Father and I have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. I gotta stop you right there because this again shows you how very rich the upper room discourse is. That one verse, ladies and gentlemen, we could do a three week series, but I don't have the time. And so let me just say to you that one verse is packed with Christological truth. All right, Christology, not hard. What does it mean? You guys tell me, what does ology mean? You tell me. The study of. Christology, the study of Christ. Okay, so in verse 28, here's what we see. From that one verse, we see his mission, we see his deity incarnation, and we see his ascension in that one verse. Okay, so Jesus said, I came from the Father. That's in regard to his mission. John 3, 16, for God, God the Father, so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, pisteo in the Greek, that's um, relies on, trusts in, leans on, has confidence in, whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, I came from the Father, I have a mission, Christ Mission is our redemption. Then he says, I have come into the world. What is that in regards to? That's in regards to his deity and his incarnation. How do you know? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning, what beginning? The beginning of the space-time material universe, the creation of everything. 
was the word. He's already eternally existing. And he's with God, he's with the Father, and he is God. That's his deity. And not just that, go down to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only uh, one from the Father, the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, man, powerful. The word became flesh. What does that mean? That means deity clothed himself in humanity and he entered time and space through the virgin's womb, fully God and fully man. This is just in one verse. <laughs> and so I came from the Father, that's his mission. I've come into the world, that's his deity and his incarnation. Now he's saying, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So after his death for our sins and his resurrection, 40 days after his resurrection, what does he do? Acts 1.9 says that he... Same body that was crucified, same body that walked out of the grave, resurrected, in that body, he ascended up and a set of cloud took him out of their sight. That's Acts chapter one and verse nine. Christology. Ladies and gentlemen, please hear me. Outside of soteriology, which is the study of salvation, nothing's more important than Christology. You can get a lot of things wrong in your life, don't get Christ wrong. Don't listen to people who knock on your door on Saturday and give you the watchtower. They're wrong. Amen? Amen? All right, we move on now to verse 28, to verse 29. He says, it says, his, his disciples said, ah, like Eureka. Now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and don't need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. We got it, Lord. Really. Look at what Jesus says in verse 31. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And so in just a few hours, in the middle of the night, Judas, amazing to me that you can look so much like a Christian and not be a Christian. Judas leads, leads an entourage of torch-bearing soldiers into the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has been praying his heart out, sweating great drops of blood. The disciples, of course, they're snoring. And when Jesus, after they wake up, walk up to Jesus and his disciples, what does Judas do? He gives the Lord the kiss of betrayal to identify him so they know who to arrest. And then after the sword comes down, the ear flies off, blood splattering and all the chaos, all the confusion, what does every single one of those disciples do. They run. They abandoned him. Now can you guys just think this through with me, okay? After all that Jesus had done for them, they abandoned him? They walked away? Listen, this is no different than a Christian today walking away from the Lord. And so they abandoned him, they left him, and, and, and Jesus says, the Father is gonna stay with me. 
And that's what the father did. During the agony that's ahead, the father stayed with him. Now this is why we all love Jesus. He knows they're gonna abandon him. But do you know what he does right now? He ends the teaching portion of the upper room discourse with encouragement. This is, this is like mind blowing. And this is how Jesus wants us to be with people that hurt us and walk out on us. He wants us to keep loving them. And that's what he does here. Look at our last verse, verse 33. He says to a bunch of guys who are gonna abandon him in a few hours, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have, shout out the word, peace. peace. That's God's will for your life, by the way. Peace in the world. You're gonna have tribulation, but take heart, guys. I have overcome the world. And so he gives the whole upper room discourse, the sea of red letters, chapters 14, 15, and 16. Why? To cheer them up so that they can have peace because he knows in the world you're gonna have tribulation. And he knows that for all of us modern day disciples that in our world we're gonna have tribulation. We live in a fallen world. And so what's gonna happen to us in this world? What's gonna happen to us is that we're gonna, there's gonna be people who are gonna get laid off. And there's gonna be people who get a, um, a, a, a loss of salary. There's gonna be people who have loved ones that they love so much it hurts and they die. They're gonna have people in their lives um, who are gonna stab them in the back, who are gonna gossip about them, who are gonna walk away from them. There are gonna be people that um, get sick and, and they're gonna get sick, right? All this stuff happens in the world. Why? Because Jesus has not come back yet and restored righteousness, taking back what is his. That's coming in the future. In the meantime, we are here right now. And the Lord is saying to you, and everybody watching, what is he saying? Hey, in the world, you're gonna have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so if you know Jesus, his victory is your victory. If you're in Christ, his victory is your victory. And it's all because of what he did on Calvary. And so, we can have the same peace. Why? Here's the gospel. Jesus lived the life we could not live and he died the death we should have died. I wish you guys would memorize that. That's the gospel. Jesus lived the life we could not live. What does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ, the fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, what did he do? He lived a perfect life. He never sinned one time. Why? Because that's what's required in order to be the spotless lamb of God, the sacrifice to God for our sins. You and I can't live that life. How many sinners are in the house? Raise your hands. I'll raise two like I always do, right? And the wages of sin is what? Death. Physical death? Spiritual death. What's spiritual death? Is it annihilation? Separation from God. Forever. Is that God's will? No, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So what did Jesus do? He died as our substitute. How many of you, guys, how many of you are glad that God showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Are you glad about that? He died as our substitute. 
when we say, I can earn my way to heaven, we nullify the cross. When we say, I can earn my way to heaven, we nullify the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could earn your way to heaven, why did that happen? We need Christ. And so what does he do? When we, going our own way, own way doing our own thing, turn to Christ, and I, I, say all, I say this all the time on purpose, when we turn to Christ, what are we turning away from? Sin. I'm not saying you gotta make yourself better so he'll accept you. That's a false gospel. But when you turn to Christ, you're turning from your sin. And what are you doing? You're repenting. What does the word repent mean? It means to change your mind. Metanoia. What are you changing your mind about? You're changing your mind about your sin. That's wrong. The wages of sin is death. You're changing your mind about yourself. I can't save myself. You're changing your mind about the Savior. He's my only hope. Because he's the only one who died for me. If you'll turn to him in repentance and faith, receiving him as the Savior and Lord of your life, good news, everybody. The Holy Spirit of God will come inside of you. He will take your sin and he'll clothe you in Christ's righteousness. And now you're accepted by God. I close with this verse. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That's the new birth, being born again. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. And you guys shout out the last two words, go ahead. Our faith. Our faith.